and as sisters and brothers in Christ, please stand and join us as we sing our praises to him.
Father, we thank you for your presence here with us today, for your grace to us in Christ, and for your desire to be in our lives. We pray that our worship this morning would honor you and please you and help us to see you more clearly and to be more like you as your spirit works in us. Bless our worship, Father, that it would honor you and would change us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. I want to welcome all of you who are here this morning, and especially welcome those who are here for homecoming weekend. It's so great to see you. And uh, before you're seated, I want to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. just be a shoebox. 
But to millions, it is the start of the greatest journey. Traveling the world, sent with prayer. More than eight and a half million shoebox gifts fill the hearts of children from over 100 different countries with hope, faith, and love. This is the story of Operation Christmas Child. There you go. You know, we're in India right now in Hyderabad, and these kids, they've never had a gift like this. And when we can give a gift and do it in the name of Jesus Christ, it means everything in the world. Since 1993, Operation Christmas Child has delivered more than 95 million shoebox gifts in over 130 different countries. This is Christmas! There are so many fun ways to get involved with Operation Christmas Child. Don't forget to pack a shoebox! OCC to NYC. Lots of great conversations, lots of opportunities to tell people how they can make a difference in the life of a child through a simple shoebox gift. I'm back home in my home church, First Baptist of Garner, doing a shoebox packing party with the whole church. This is fun. We'll see you in the Dominican Republic. It means a lot to be able to, you know, to pack your own shoebox and to actually be able to go to that country where the kids are receiving it and, and to see the kid who's going to be receiving your box. It's going to be an amazing day when, the, when that day comes when I'm face to face with Jesus Christ in heaven. To so see some children that received a shoebox who might have never heard or seen Christ's love to them before and, and gotten that shoebox and because of that they're in heaven with me. Living in the midst of the most desperate of circumstances, Ralph, a nine-year-old child from the Philippines, found hope in his shoebox gift. Not only did I receive a gift, but I also prayed to receive Christ as my Lord. Knowing God will always love me means everything to me. It's not just you give a box and we walk away. God is using the greatest journey as a discipleship program. And these kids are responding to it. Jesus said that you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. You put it so the whole world can see. And when a child's life is changed, it cannot be hidden. When you see their faces, their smiles, the joy that, that they get when they open that box, it's almost like they're breathing the Lord in when they open that. It's beautiful. You know, every box uh, is important. They're all different. And uh, put good stuff in it. These kids, we're giving these boxes to our kids that have never had a gift in their life. And they need to know that God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. We want the children of the world to know about God's love. And every child, we're going to follow up with them and we're going to disciple them. Thank you for your gift. Every box is important. Get involved. We need your help. We need your support. God bless you. Thank you. And a Merry Christmas. We are again participating in Operation Christmas Child. And I know many of you probably have uh, put together boxes. The goal this year is to move from 95 million 
boxes from the beginning of the ministry to over 100 million. So looking at about trying to get 5 million or so boxes this year. And uh, I don't think they're expecting all of us to do that, but we want to be a part of that. And um, so we have a few months or so to put these together. Someone was saying the other day that their, their four or five-year-old, six-year-old was, always helps prepare their box. And they love finding things that they would want to put into the box for a little girl, a little boy uh, who may receive it. And it becomes a real family event. So you put together a box as a family, as an individual, uh, as roommates, as your dorm floor, apartment, uh, whatever you want to do. And you can put together more than one. But uh, you, can, you can just bring them down to the church anytime in the next month or so. And there's information in the bulletin uh, about this ministry. There's a bookmark that uh, you can, you can uh, use to pray for the ministry. And you can get more information and details on the church website as well as our Facebook page. And we'd love to have you participate. If you have questions, just contact the church office and we will help you with that. You also see in your bulletin an insert about the Houghton Volunteer Fire Department. It's such an important part of our community that the folks who volunteer to help us in times of crisis. And every time the siren goes off, whether it's at 3 in the afternoon or 3 in the morning, there are probably half a dozen or more people who are dropping what they're doing or getting up out of bed and coming to help us. And we, we really need, they need our help. They need financial help to just keep updated with equipment, but they also need volunteers. People who might work in, in firefighting, EMTs, uh, there's a variety of ways you can get involved. And, uh, you can, and students, there are a number of students who have been and are involved in the fire department. So if this is something that you have an interest in, that you would like to do or can do, it would be a great help. Uh, it's, it's just a great way to give back to, uh, to the community, and we want to thank everyone who volunteers. As you leave this morning, and if you go to the other foyer, there are some uh, fire extinguishers sitting on tables, and they have a little slot in the top, and uh, you can put in donations into that. If you want to fill out this form, you can drop that in as well, and we'll make sure those get to the fire department. Thanks for your support of this important part of our community. There are always prayer concerns that are in the bulletin and things we want to remember from our lives as well as for the world. And uh, October 28th is the beginning of our three-week prayer vigil. This is the fourth year that we will be doing this. Um, three weeks, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we will be, uh, we will be praying. And uh, we're getting the prayer room ready now. And next week you'll be hearing a bit more and, and seeing a bit more about uh, what that's going to involve. But we want you to be thinking now about your involvement in the prayer vigil. And we'll, we'll keep communicating more and more about that to you as we look forward to this really transformational time in the life of our church. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Happy 
practice over the last couple of years of when we pray together, opening the altar rail uh, as a place where you can come and pray. You may want to pray for yourself, you may want to pray for someone else or a burden in the world. But as we spend time together praying now, if you'd like to come and kneel at the altar rail, I would invite you to come and join me. Please be seated. Father, we think about how glorious that day will be when we will experience the fullness of life in you. The fullness of what it means to be your children. The joy of of relationship with you without the barriers that we now live with. We rejoice in that day. But Father, we also rejoice to know that even as we await that day, you're with us now. And you're involved in our lives. And you care about us. And you're working miracles even now. This morning we come to you and we pour out before you the burdens of our hearts and of this world. We confess our sins. the decisions we've made to turn from you, to go our own way, the self-centered choices, the words that we've spoken even this week that have hurt others. Forgive us. 
and restore us anew in you. We think about those that we love and care about who are struggling with grief and illness, who are facing an uncertain future. We pray for your grace, your healing, your comfort in each life. Father, we pray for relationships that are not what we wish they were. And we pray that you would bring healing. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. There's so much war and violence. So many people who live without the basic necessities of life. Father, forgive us for our apathy. And help your people to be, to be means of supplying those needs and of bringing hope where there's despair and love where there is hatred and peace where there is war. Heal our world. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for loving us, for caring for us. Thank you for drawing us closer and closer to yourself. Help us to live with open hearts to you, with open minds and spirits to you, that we might be the beacons of light in this world that you have called us to be and created us to be and transformed us to be. And we pray all of this through Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead to give us life, ascended to be with you and is interceding for us and has promised to come back in final victory. It's in his name that we offer our prayer. Amen. The scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'll be reading excerpts from 1 Samuel chapter 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down in the desert of Maon. There was in Maon a very rich man named Nabal, He had 3,000 sheep and 2,000 goats, or 1,000 goats. His wife, Abigail, was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was surly and mean. David, in the desert, heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep at Carmel. So he chose 10 young men and said, Go to Nabal and greet him in my name. Say to him, Peace be to you and to your house. I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did them no harm. They missed nothing, for we guarded them all the time they were in the desert. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to them and to your son David. 
The young men came to Nabal and said all this in the name of David. And then they waited. Who is David? Nabal answered. There are many servants nowadays who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and wine and meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? David's men came back and told him all this. This fellow has returned me evil for good, David said. God punish me if by morning I leave alive so much as one male of all who belong to him. To his men he said, put on your swords. Every man did so. And David also. He had about 600 men. 400 went with him, while 200 remained with the supplies. One of Nabal's young men told Abigail how her husband had deceived David's David's messengers. They were very good to us. All the while we were with them. Consider what you should do. Disaster is hanging over our master, and he is so ill-natured, one cannot speak to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep ready dressed, five measures of parched grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs. She laid them on donkeys and departed, but she did not tell Nabal. As she came near the mountain, there was David and his men coming down toward her. When she saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and fell to the ground before him. Upon me alone, my lord, be the guilt, she said. Please, hear the words of your servant. Let not your lord pay attention to this ill-natured fellow Nabal, for folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men you sent. Now then, my lord, seeing that the lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from taking vengeance with your own hand, let this present which your servant has brought, be given to your young men. Please forgive my trespass, for your life shall be in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has dealt well with you, my Lord, then remember your servant. Blessed be the God of Israel, David replied, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your good judgment, and blessed be you, who have kept me from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. And he received from her what she had brought him. Go home in peace, he said. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail returned, Nabal was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. His heart was merry, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when, she, when he was sober, she told him these things. And his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he wooed Abigail, sending his servants to to her at Carmel, saying, to say, David has sent us to take you to him as his wife. Abigail bowed with her face to the ground. She said, Your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Then she rose And mounted a donkey, and with five maidens attending her, she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together.
Father, we pray that as we open our hearts to you and to your word, that you would speak deeply into our souls. And as we continue in worship, let our focus be on you. What you want to say to us, what you want to do in us. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Our lives are really about relationships. 
You know, relationships are such a gift from God. We find in relationships joy and blessing. We've, we find that in the friendships that we have. I mean, some of you are, are here for homecoming weekend and you're renewing some friendships and you're remembering some of the times you were together and, and the way God blessed your life through your friends. We have friends in our lives now that we see that. And, and we see God blessing our lives through the relationship of family. And, and the people that, that are related to us and how we connect with one another and, and we encourage each other and we support each other. And family is such a great gift from God. And then there's the church, God's family, where we are connected in Christ. And, and if you have those experiences where you're out traveling somewhere, I've had this experience in a foreign country, you're traveling somewhere and you feel sort of alone and lost and And you meet someone and in conversation you discover they're a Christian. And there is like this sense of bonding that automatically takes place through Christ. And a relationship is born that was non-existent. But relationships can also be messy and complicated and struggle for us. Friendships that are Great can turn and maybe be not so great. And family doesn't always get along. And we hurt each other and, and we turn on each other. And, and even in the church. I wish you could say that in the church, everybody's always perfect to each other. But you only have to spend about five minutes in the church and you know that's not true. And relationships can get complicated and and they can bring pain to us instead of the joy that God intended. And that's been going on a long, long time. That is not something new. And you see that clearly in this passage from 1 Samuel that we've read just a few moments ago. You see relationships that that get turned and twisted and people going after each other. And it's it's a problem. Now, just a little bit of context for that story. Saul's the king of Israel, but he's rejected God. And so God says to Samuel, the great prophet of Israel, I want you to go to David and you anoint him the next king. And he will be the king when Saul's reign is done. And David goes and he lives in the palace for a while, but Saul becomes jealous and he he tries to kill David. And David spends virtually the rest of Saul's life running with a pack of guys that he's gathered around him all around the countryside to escape Saul's attacks. And one day David hears that this this rich man, Nabal, is shearing his sheep. And and that's that's like harvest time. It's a big festival, it's a big gathering, and all these people come together, and, they, and he's a wealthy man, so he's lots of sheep, and takes lots of people, and they make a big party out of it, and there's tons of food, and David sends about ten guys to Nabal and says, look, could you help us out here? We're trying to survive out here in the desert, in the wilderness, and we would love some help. And, and just remember, not too long ago, when your guys were out with their sheep, we protected them. It sort of sounds like, you know, someplace in um, the big city where you've got a gang that goes around town and says, look, we'll protect you if you give us what we want. Sort of protection racket. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. I'm not sure. But, but David says, you know, we helped you, you help us. And Nabal 
who is described as foolish. And actually, that's what his name means, fool. And he is. And he says, who's David? Why would I give David anything? What do I care about David? He's, he's like a flea on a dog. He's running around being chased by Saul. Like, you know, he's a runaway servant. Why would I do, give anything to David? Go home. And the guys go back and they tell David and David is livid. David is so angry that he makes a vow to God and he says, God, if at this time tomorrow I haven't eliminated every male who lives in the house of Nabal, then you do that to me and my family. And David gathers up 400 of his 600 men and he sets out to take care of Nabal. And back at, the, back at, the, at Nabal's house, one of the servants comes to Abigail and his wife and says, we got problems here. And she tells her the story and she gets together as much food as she can, as quickly as she can, and loads it up and heads out. And she meets David halfway and she offers it to him. And David says, thank you. This is awesome. Go in peace. And he turns and goes back to the camp and she turns and goes back home. And the next day she says to her husband, tells him what happens, and he has... I don't know, he goes into a coma, maybe he has a stroke or heart attack or something. And about 10 days later, he dies. And when David hears that, he takes Abigail to be his wife. And you can almost, you're almost thinking that when you get to the end of that last sentence, it's going to say, and they all lived happily ever after. It sort of has that feel to it, right? Well, there's a whole lot more going on in the story than just they all lived happily ever after. Nabal is a fool. And we all know that this world is filled with people who are fools who cause trouble. People who who create problems in the world. People who are bent on violence. People who who do stupid things and offend people and offend nations. And we see it all the time. Our world is embroiled in people, in leadership who are fools. And we shake our heads at them and think, oh, this is terrible. And I would guess probably we don't act a lot like Nabal. We're nicer than that. But maybe, but Nabal's not the only fool in the story. Because David is acting like a fool too. Why does David respond the way he does? Because Nabal has treated him with contempt. Nabal has mocked him. In our language, we would say Nabal disrespected him. And when you get disrespected, you got to do something about it. There are people killed every day because, because someone, they, someone felt like they disrespected them. And you can't let that stuff go. You have got to do something about it. And in that culture, back in the ancient Near East, it was even more imperative that you cannot let that stuff go. You can't show weakness. You have to be strong. People aren't going to treat me that way. And I would dare say that that is, that's more of a struggle for us. We might not be tempted to take someone's life or to wipe out an entire village. But we get pretty angry when people disrespect us. When we lose face. When people hurt us. When people treat us with contempt. And whether you're talking about friends or family or the church. 
And it creates all kinds of fractions in our relationships. And most of the time, we sit back and we say to ourselves, how can I get back at them? Or at the very least, we say, I'm never speaking to them again. I'm not having a relationship with them. And we think ill thoughts of people. We wish bad on people. We act like foolish troublemakers. And we do it as the church. Sometimes we do it in the name, not of retaliation, but of good. We think we're protecting the kingdom of God. We, we see this happen all the time in the culture wars that, that we, we, people talk about. Where, where people speak ill of the church. Or, or, or people attack the church. And what's our natural inclination? We can't let them get away with that. We've got to fight back. And we attack back. And we do exactly to them what they're doing to us. And we, we act just like David. We do it on an individual basis. We do it on a corporate basis. And all the while, God is saying, I don't want you to act like David. I want you to act like Abigail. I want you to do what she does. I want, you to, I want to use you as someone who prevents catastrophes from happening. Because Abigail steps into that situation, women don't lose their husbands. And children don't lose their fathers. And the place isn't, isn't spread with bloodshed. And you read this text and it's not just about her protecting her husband. It's about her saving David from himself. There are at least three times in this passage. In 26 and 31 and 33 these verses where David or she says, You saved me from myself. You saved me from shedding bloodshed that I shouldn't have. Thank you. And she prevented David from taking action that was extremely displeasing to God. That would have been on his conscience and would have marred his life for the rest of his life. And this is the kind of of people that God's looking for. He's looking for people who are not troublemakers, but are peacemakers. Some of you may have seen the movie, The Life of Brian. It's a Monty Python film. It's a spoof of, you know, life. There's a scene in this movie where Jesus is Sermon on the Mount, the passage of, uh, in Matthew 5. And Jesus is speaking to the crowd. There's a, there's a large crowd there. And Jesus, at one point, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And there's a woman in the back who says, what did he say? And the guy in front of her says, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. And she says, cheesemakers? What's so special about cheesemakers? And her husband says, well, it's not just cheesemakers. It's anyone who would be involved in the dairy industry. That's who he's talking about. <laughs> it's, it's pretty nonsensical spoof. But you know, the reality is, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, that was really, it, it was as absurd as if he had said, blessed are the cheesemakers. I mean, he's talking to people who have spent centuries as a nation waiting for the Messiah to free them from their oppressors and to do it with power and with vengeance. 
They are looking for a Messiah who will take out their enemies. And Jesus might be that guy. He's pretty powerful. His words are powerful. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He is showing amazing signs of power in the world. And as they gather on that mountain, you can almost sense them starting to get pretty pumped up about this guy as the Messiah. And what does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. He might just as well have said blessed are the cheesemakers. Because they're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? That is crazy. And if we're honest, we feel the same way. It's hard for us to truly accept that Jesus says, blessed are peacemakers. Because we live in a culture and in a world that doesn't value peacemaking. We value power and strength. You see, this isn't, the Beatitudes are not just, hey, here's some, here's a, some new ways to think about your, your attitudes. This is the revolutionary coming of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. This is about transforming people. It's about being like Jesus. And he doesn't say blessed are the peace lovers, as important as that is, or the peacekeepers, as important as that is. He says blessed are the peacemakers. And they're blessed because peacemakers are called children of God. I mean, in essence, he's saying peacemaking is the family business. It's what we do. Because being a child of God means that you, you think like God and you, and you act like God and you talk like God and you reveal the very nature and character of God. And God says, it looks like peacemaking. Now, I know when we talk about peacemaking, there, there is a sense of where we get a little bit hesitant about that because we, we think, well, does that mean you just give in all the time? Not at all. Peacemaking isn't giving in all the time. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, he didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword. And that confuses us. And I find it interesting that all the time Jesus talks about being peacemakers and, and, and bringing peace, we love to grab this one phrase and say, well, that gives us the right to do what we want to do with people. But the context of this is he's talking about family. He's talking about living with with people who are close to you. And when you start doing the things that God wants you to do, when you start looking like God, when you start practicing the Beatitudes, when that begins to infill your life and change the way you think and how you live, people are not going to get that. And it may well alienate people from you. You start forgiving enemies, people are going to say, what's wrong with you? You start loving people who are outcasts of society, people are going to feel very uncomfortable with that. You start treating people the way Jesus does, it doesn't fit well in our society and our culture. And it may well alienate us from our family, but it's not because we're being nasty. It's not because we're standing up for for our rights. 
It's not because we are being obnoxious or foolish. It's because we look like Christ. And sometimes when you act like Christ, people can't handle that. And it does create some divisions. But that's far different from saying, I have the right to attack my enemies, whether you're talking verbally or physically. The reality is, when you want to be peacemaking, is not just giving in all the time. Sometimes the, the most important step of peacemaking is to help people understand that they need to take responsibility for what they've done. Because that begins the process of healing and reconciliation. But what's hard for us is that peacemaking and peacemakers always operate out of a position of weakness. A position of humility. Have you ever been in a situation where someone was trying to bring peace and accomplished it by being arrogant? By saying, I've got all the answers. I know exactly what you all need to do and you better do it. No. It's a humble spirit that begins to break down walls. It's a spirit of, of, of weakness, not power, that God is looking for in peacemakers. You look at Abigail. She comes to David and she bows down before him like a servant. And she says, it's all my fault. She wasn't even there. But she takes responsibility. She takes the blame. Because it's the only way to bring peace. And if we want to be peacemakers, if we want to be children of God and do the family business, it's going to mean, it's going to mean being willing to say, I'll operate from a position of weakness and humility. And that's hard because our natural tendency is power. People attack us, we want to attack back. We want to tell people what to do. We want to shake them and grab them and say, wake up, stop being a fool. Listen to me. I've got all the answers for you. And God is saying, peacemakers, don't retaliate. Don't wield power. But instead reveal the humble, loving, compassionate spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that Jesus reconciled the world to himself through the cross. And if it's through the cross that Jesus brings about reconciliation, how much more you and me? Giving up our rights and humility working for peace. It's risky to do that. You know, Abigail didn't know how David was going to respond. A couple of chapters earlier in, in 1 Samuel, Saul is upset because the, the prince, priest of Nob helped David. He goes, just wipes them all out, men, women, and children. She knows. She has to know that. David's a warrior. He's a fierce warrior. She doesn't know how he's going to respond. She might bow before him and he takes her out. But peacemakers do it anyway. And it, we will often be in uncomfortable positions as peacemakers. 
will often feel vulnerable and powerless. Isn't it interesting in this story? There are, there are two men in the story, and, and they have all the power. They have wealth. They have the armies. They have the weapons. And you have a woman who in that culture is powerless and vulnerable. And who's the troublemakers and who's the peacemaker? And I suspect that in our culture and in our world, God often uses the most unlikely people to bring about peace. People who we judge as a culture as weak people, vulnerable people. Because they're willing to be used by God. They're worried about saving face. They're worried about hanging on to what they have. They just want to trust God and be used by God to bring about peace. Sometimes God places us in the middle of a situation between two people or two groups of people. And God calls us to try to mediate peace. And it's not easy. And it's time consuming. And and we have no idea whether it will work or not. But that's not really our responsibility. We're just there to try to be peacemakers through the grace of God. But I suspect that more often than not, the peacemaking that God's looking for is between us and somebody else. Something in our relationship with another person has gotten twisted and skewed and we've hurt them or they've hurt us and we don't talk to each other. And God may be prompting you this morning about that very situation. About taking the first step. And man, that feels vulnerable. But that's what peacemakers do. You take the first step. Not knowing how the person is going to respond. But you can't do anything about that. You can't control how people are going to respond. All we can control is our obedience to God. And his promptings about being peacemakers. But remember Jesus says peacemakers are blessed. It may feel like risk and it may feel like we're putting ourselves out there and we're so vulnerable and we try to avoid it. But Jesus says, peacemakers know the blessing of God in an amazing, powerful way because we're obedient. And Abigail's life is turned around because she's obedient. As you think about your relationships, your family, your friends, the church, if you're honest, if I'm honest, are we more foolish troublemakers or Christ-like peacemakers? How are we willing to let God use us. I'd like for us to take just a moment of time to meditate, to pray.
to think. And to just open our minds and our hearts to a God, however God may be prompting us about peacemaking. Father, thank you that you care enough about our relationships that you want you want to bring peace and you want them to bring fulfillment to our lives. And you want to use us. Father, help us to be open and receptive to your call to be peacemakers. And as As we sing this song, help us to see that peacemaking, wherever it may be and with whomever it may be, starts with us, even here, today, right now.
Father, let it begin with us. Right now. Today. Right here. Through the grace of Christ. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.